Episode 5 of the Careers Uncovered podcast. I'm your host, Chanel McFarlane. I'm incredibly excited to be diving into this conversation with Tanya Hanna Rumble, a nonprofit fundraising leader. And we've been connected for quite a while on social media now. And when she reached out about this potential topic for us to collaborate on, it was a no brainer. Essentially, Tanya believes that there's so much power in sharing our lived experiences, especially to enhance our careers. And personally, I find this so empowering because we know that we live in a world where experience is everything and it can feel like we don't have enough to get the job that we want. I'm sure we've all been there in that situation where, you know, you apply to a job and you're told that maybe you've lost out to another candidate because they had more experience. So essentially in this episode, Tanya shares her insights on how you can use your personal experiences to your professional advantage and position yourself as a prime culture ad. A bit about Tanya, Tanya is a fundraising leader who has raised millions for some of Canada's largest charities, including Heart and Stroke Foundation, the Canadian Cancer Society, McMaster University, and now Ryerson University. Tanya is passionate about equity, diversity, and inclusion, and power and privilege, and how these intersect with philanthropy. She's deeply engaged in transforming the philanthropic sector as a leadership volunteer in the sector, entrepreneur in organizations where she works and governs, as a writer and speaker in the fundraising sector, and as a mentor. Tanya is a new mom, like me, a voracious consumer of podcasts, a dedicated urbanist taking advantage of leading Jane's walks to learn more about her community, and a baking enthusiast. All right, let's dive in. So thank you, uh, Tanya, for for being part of this series. I am super excited to have you here. I think you have such an incredible background. So I know we'll we'll dive into a bit of that. But first, I have to ask you, because I was looking at your bio, and I saw that you're a new mom. I'm also a new mom. So how are you? And how is new mom life? <laughs> during oh, the- that's so nice. Know. I, didn't know, I didn't know that you were. Um, thank you for asking. I think that one of the benefits of COVID is that it's required us to all be a bit more vulnerable and show mm-hmm. sort of like our full selves. So it's harder to hide the fact that we've got these sort of personal um, identities that are part yes. of who we are. And so my son just turned one about three oh. weeks ago. Yeah. Oh. So it's... um you know, it's been an incredible journey the last Mm -hmm. year. And, you know, I have a lot of gratitude for the fact that he was born prior to the pandemic and prior to Uh, lockdown. Yeah. So that my family and our loved ones were able to meet him before. Waiting for that moment. (laughs) Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's definitely, I feel for those who have not had that opportunity. And it sounds like you are unfortunately one of those who hasn't had those moments where the people who you love and hold you so close, you want to see them hold your little one and hold them and and have that bonding experience. Exactly. I mean, my daughter was born just a month after lockdown. So end of April. Um, So of course the whole, you know, hospital experience in the pandemic. And then of course I haven't met family. So it's been, it's been challenging, but also at the same time, we're trying to make the most of it. Right. Because we wouldn't have like my husband and I wouldn't have as much quality time with her um, if it wasn't for this. And so we're choosing to find the silver lining because I feel like at this point, that's the only way you can get through it. Right. 
<laughs> Definitely. And I think one of the beauties of having children, if you're fortunate mm-hmm. um, enough to, to have children and that's mm-hmm. a choice that you've been able to make for your family is mm-hmm. that they really force you to be in the moment. And yes. so as you know, having like a young child, they're still infants, your daughter, my son, mm-hmm. well, there's no time to really think about anything about, but the immediate when you're with them. And that is mm-hmm. such a blessing. Like for me, when he gets home from daycare, like ever, the world stops. Like when mm-hmm. either I pick him up or my husband picks him up, like we are 1000% present with him because that's that. our priority. And he's only up for a few hours of the day that he's not at daycare. And mm-hmm. we just want to cherish that time together as a family. And so we don't have time to worry about like, is the lockdown happening? Is it the restrictions being lifted? What's going on in the world? We're just like right. in the moment playing with him, mm-hmm, you know, playing like course. drums or running after him. And um, so, yeah, you're right. Like there's silver linings and everything. And the gratitude mm-hmm. of being able to be focused on family is mm-hmm. one thing that for sure is like a silver lining for me too. Absolutely. And I know, of course, I guess we can both speak to how the pandemic has impacted family life and you know, being a new mom. How has the pandemic affected the work that you do in, in fundraising? Because I can only assume it's made things a little more challenging, I would think. Yeah. So fortunately, or I mean, in some ways, I yeah. have been um, on mat leave for much of the pandemic. I've now mm-hmm. returned to work and I'm actually in a new role. Oh, I, okay. I left McMaster and I'm now um, at Ryerson University. Mm-hmm. And so it is definitely interesting starting a new job um, in a pandemic. Essentially, I closed my computer on a Friday <laughs> and I was done. And then you open up job. the new one. <laughs> Exactly. And I literally opened my computer on Monday of this week and Mm -hmm. I was at a new job. So um, in terms of my work, you know, as a professional fundraiser, it is really all about relationships and there's no question about it. Building relationships virtually is different when you're broadcast into someone's home or their personal living space. there's sort of a directness to the conversation that maybe wouldn't have happened if I was meeting someone for a coffee in sort of a really austere or like neutral place. Mm -hmm. Um, You sort of get down to brass tacks really quickly when you're, when you're having a virtual conversation because that the ability to have really trivial small talk isn't there. And and people are not Mm -hmm. really as wanting to have small talk because I think that what's happening in the world is so heavy. And so, you know, I'm fortunate to be connecting with people who are thinking about how can they use their resources to support philanthropy and do good. And Mm -hmm. so they really want to dive into those conversations, but it certainly is a new challenge in fundraising, building those relationships virtually. And, you know, the the world is always changing. So we're always going to be agile and have to be adaptive and responding to the needs of the individuals that we're working with. Um, so yeah, it's absolutely a challenge, but one that, you know, I relish and I, I'm, I'm not taking for granted as an opportunity to rethink how do we connect with people? And the beauty of, of it is we can now connect with more people. We can connect more globally mm-hmm, and the, the ability to travel, you know, for me personally, that means I don't need to take time away from my family, family. Uh, in order to meet someone who lives in Vancouver or lives in Ottawa. I don't necessarily need to get on a plane or on a train to get there. So yeah, it, opens, it opens things up as well. Absolutely. And so what you're saying, I, I love the point about the relationships, of course, that's obviously really key in the work that you're doing. Would you say that it's also what sort of drives you is, is passion? 
Like what sort of drives you to the work that you do? And is there sort of maybe some lived experiences that sort of drive the work that you do and sort of encourage you every single day? Sure. So, I mean, I had started my career in public health after I graduated from my undergrad and I'd mm-hmm. done a degree in health policy and public policy and I fell into health promotion and I loved the work. I was working yeah. on big population level health promotion programs. And um, I actually worked in public health during the H1N1 epidemic. So, ah. um, so I'm sort of, I have a lot of <laughs> empathy for my colleagues in public Absolutely. health who are working during this particular pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I really loved that work, but I wanted to do something a bit more entrepreneurial. And so that's what led me into health fundraising. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was really this natural marriage of having lived experience with family members that had been so adversely impacted by heart disease and cancer and mm-hmm. thinking about how do I bring the knowledge I have of the healthcare system and health research and actually merge that with a more entrepreneurial job where I'm out there building relationships with corporations, foundations, and individuals to help support Mm -hmm. that work on a philanthropic level. Mm -hmm. And so I think what drives me then, what drove me then was really like my personal experience and understanding how much disease can impact a family and how devastating it can be. But how much research and programs can really change people's lives and experience through having a disease like heart disease or having a stroke or going through cancer. But -hmm. I think what drives me now is really quite different, actually. I'm still really passionate about um, the causes that I work for. That's absolutely important. But I think what's more important are the values of the employer that I work for and what I bring now to my work as a professional fundraiser is mm. a real genuine passion for equity and inclusion. Mm. Yes. And how do we merge these ideas of power and privilege where I'm often asking someone who has a lot of money mm-hmm. um, for, for, for a donation, for a gift, for an investment. Absolutely. And so how do I balance this inevitable power imbalance that exists in that dynamic where someone has a resource and someone Mm -hmm. wants that resource. And so I'm really driven by this idea of how do we make philanthropy more equitable, more accessible for everyone, regardless of how much money you have to give. If it's personally significant, if if a gift from me um, a $5,000 is like a very personally significant gift, whereas someone else, what would be personally significant for them is a million dollars. Each of those gifts are of value and should be treated equitably. And should, yeah, that experience exactly. as a donor should be equitable. So, mm-hmm. um, and then as we talked about being new moms, I think I want to work in an environment and be supporting philanthropy and, and work as a professional fundraiser that I can really say to my son as he gets older, I'm supporting the things that will help make the world more equitable for you as a racialized young man. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, the, I think the more senior I get in my career, I'm looking for that, that integration with my personal values and my professional objective. Oh. And I want them to be as close together as they can possibly be. And I think I really have found that um, now in the role that I, I've recently started. And I've just been getting closer and closer to that as I've gone through my career. I like that. And, you know, when you were, when you were speaking, it seems like you're very, you're very confident that you know what you want. You know that, again, that you want to merge the personal and the professional. And reading your bio, that seems very clear to you. You're very clear that you're a new mom. You're very clear that you're prioritizing equity and diversity and inclusion and all the things that are really important to you. 
how did you, I guess, find that confidence in owning that, the personal side? And how did you uncover the power of, of sharing that publicly? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think, as I said, you know, as I've gotten more senior in my career, I've gotten more confident and and comfortable being more authentic. And ultimately, I've had so many experiences where the authenticity and the vulnerability that I bring to my work has unlocked so many opportunities for me that Mm -hmm. before I saw it as such a weakness and as something like I didn't want to talk to people about the things that were going on with me personally. Like I'm very gregarious and I love connecting Mm -hmm. with people socially professionally, personally, but if I was going through a hard time or I was having experiences that I didn't think were that positive, I did not bring that into my work because I thought that that would inherently make me look weak. That would limit my opportunities and limit the, um, my avenues for success and for advancement in in the work that I was doing. Mm -hmm. But as I've gotten older, I've seen that you know, when we used to talk about, you know, what skills do you have that help you be qualified for a role? It's gotten really more about fit and culture. And that's something you talk a lot about. And, and so the thing that you cannot divorce from this idea of culture and fit is that you too, as a prospective employee need to be assessing opportunities for that fit for yourself. And so for me personally, my values are part of the fit if my values can't be realized at work, if I'm working in an environment that doesn't prioritize, let's say mental health and well-being, that's Mm -hmm. not going to be a good fit for me because I really value that. And as a a leader in whatever organization I'm working in, I'm modeling that behavior for my staff. And I want them to know that no matter what is going on in their life, that they are valued and that we are here to support them because people who feel supported, people who know that they can tell their leader, hey, I'm having a really hard time. Here's what I'm dealing with. Those people feeling supported are going to bring so much value to that organization. And so for me, you know, the things that are most important really are equity, mental health and well-being, the Mm -hmm. sense of purpose, the opportunity to advance, the opportunity Mm -hmm. to grow my scope, my responsibility, my leadership. Those are the things that are most important to me. And then, of course, like the organization's mission has to be there, too. I couldn't see myself fundraising for a cause that I just don't really have a lot of personal investment Mm -hmm. in. Um, But yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, the fit piece is something I'm always thinking about. And I think your personal values should really be underpinning the fit and your mm-hmm. personal experience. Like no one else can teach you lived experience. You will never learn that in your job. That's what you bring to a job. And mm-hmm. so having, being able to center that and being valued and being brought onto an organization because of your lived experience is so important to me as well, because they're never going to be able to teach me that I can bring that to them. And so that's going to be my superpower as like an employee, as a leader an organization um, because no one can take that from me and they also can't teach it to anyone else. Mm-hmm. I, I like that. And, and would you say then that this idea of really standing firm in your personal values, your lived experiences, that can benefit your job search? Like let's say you're someone right now, um, you're, you're looking for a job and you're finding maybe you're not connecting with the interviewer, especially right now, you know, we're doing all these video interviews. You're finding that there just seems to be some disconnect. So would you recommend then that you start to really tap into your personal values and lived experiences to maybe build those better connections and have those stronger conversations with people? 
so. I mean, my my experience has been the more open and vulnerable you are, the better. Mm-hmm. But I will say that there's a caveat. In the same way that if you're building a new relationship with someone, um, whether it's a romantic relationship or a friendship, you need to give someone an opportunity to show that you can trust them. And yes. so I wouldn't probably start an interview by divulging mm-hmm. really personal identifying information that makes Good me point. who I am mm-hmm. until someone shows me that they can be trusted with that information, that they mm-hmm. won't oppress me that with that information and that they will value that information and that disclosure. So mm-hmm. what I mean by that is if I was going in, in, into an interview and I just mm-hmm. had like something pretty significant going on in my life, whether it was with my partner or with a family Mm -hmm. member, I probably wouldn't disclose that. But Mm -hmm. if there was an opportunity for, you know, at the end of the interview for them to say, do you have any other comments? Is there anything else you want to share with us? You know, just being open and honest and being like, you know, I really appreciated the time that we had today. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to let you know that like, I was a little bit flustered when I came in here, but I really valued the opportunity to connect with you. And I, if I haven't been articulate, it's because I had, you know, some challenging circumstances outside of this meeting. But if there's Mm -hmm. anything else I can do to demonstrate, you know, that my fit for this role and my passion, please I'd love that opportunity to do so. So you can be honest that. and say I was having a hard time without going into too much of a disclosure about what was creating that hard time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so similarly, you know, as a leader in an organization, when I'm meeting with people, asking someone how you are and starting a conversation, whether it's an interview or onboarding someone for their on their first day of work, mm-hmm. if you ask the question, how, you, how are you? Be prepared to give an open and vulnerable answer yourself and be prepared for whatever answer they give, being ready to to respond to that. If someone says, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm having a hard time, be okay. Be grateful that they felt that they could trust you with that information and respond with compassion. And you then can Mm -hmm. then match that vulnerability with your own vulnerability And in that vulnerability is so much power. You can unlock so many new relationships, whether it's with an employer, a leader, a colleague, or in my case, as a fundraiser with a donor, people Mm -hmm. want to see the authentic you. And just because you're not going to be a fit or it was an awkward Zoom interview with one organization or one individual, not every job opportunity is going to be a fit right? So you got to find that right fit. So the person that responds well to your quirky joke or appreciates the fact that you were open about the fact that you were a bit nervous at the start of an interview, someone that responds to that, that's the kind of person that you want to work with because they're, they understand that, you know, everyone's perfect. Everyone's Mm -hmm. vulnerable. Everyone has a hard time. So, um, Yeah, I think that the more authentic you are, the more you allow the person across from you to show you who they are and whether or not it's a fit for you as well as them. I like that. I think especially it's so important now in particular is, yes, you're being interviewed, but you also need to interview them, right? So as as you were saying, is if you're there sharing and being open and vulnerable and they're making you feel a little bit strange about it, that's probably an indication that is that necessarily a workplace that you want to work for and I like the idea around, around compassion as well. I think especially now as we navigate 
this collective lived experience that we're living in the pandemic, I think a lot of job seekers may be nervous about coming into interviews, knowing that they have whatever else they're going, they're going into. Maybe, you know, they were dealing with a tough day. Maybe they have a new baby at home or whatever it is. And I really like the example that you shared around how you can communicate that because I think what can be tough is if you you come into the interview you have all that baggage you have all the the emotions that you're going through and you don't communicate that then you leave the interviewer for example thinking about all these different situations to well why did this person come across this way and you know what I don't think they're a great fit when it could have just been a very short conversation around what's going on so I think that that was really great advice exactly and as I said again, match the disclosure with the opportunity. So like start small. Mm-hmm. Don't you would never start a first date by saying, you know, here are all the people I dated and here's why <laughs> exactly. I might be a good partner for me. You mm-hmm. start small, you be honest. And if someone can match your vulnerability or appreciate who you are and what you're bringing to the table, then proceed with a bit more vulnerability, with a bit mm-hmm. more trust. Absolutely. And how do you, how would you navigate then culture fit? Because we know culture fit as this idea, we kind of touched on it earlier. But let's say, for example, you know that you're going to be interviewing with a workplace that maybe has people that are very different from how you identify, right? And so how do you know what sort of experiences or if your if your vulnerability will be appreciated or if the experiences you share, if they'll understand it? Because I think some people may feel nervous. What, what advice would you give for someone that's maybe navigating that situation where they're, they're nervous the culture fit thing might kind of work against them? Absolutely. Well, I think it's interesting now, if you look on job boards, there's a lot of opportunities for people who are diversity, equity, inclusion consultants, because a mm-hmm. lot of organizations are realizing that they've got you know, one dominant culture that really dominates their workforce and they're looking to bring someone in that can help strategically diversify, make their environment more inclusive and more attractive to um, ethno-culturally diverse candidates Mm -hmm. uh, as one example. And so, you know, you may think if I look at, you know, on LinkedIn and say, oh, wow, look, all the people that are in these roles of this organization look like they're a lot different from me. There may be some intention around why they're looking at you as a really great candidate because they're looking to diversify that. And so I think that, you know, we all have a responsibility to be true to ourselves. And I know Mm -hmm. that sometimes it can be really hard to feel like you can do that when you're so desperate to find meaningful employment and you're Mm -hmm. worried about, I need to just I need to get this interview. It needs to go well. And I need to get to the next interview. So I have a job offer. But at the end of the day, there's lots and lots of places you can work, but there's not going to be as many places that you can thrive truly as an individual. Mm -hmm. And so I think, how do you bring that lived experience into the interview process? Well, if you're a person that has had, for example, some trauma and you have a lot of empathy for people that have gone through difficult times, you don't know what's gone on in that workplace. They may be looking for someone that is highly empathetic because they've actually had an incident of workplace violence that really like impacted staff. And they're looking for someone not to come in and and counsel people, but Mm -hmm. someone that's going to be really sensitized to the impact that workplace you know, harassment or workplace violence may have had on their workforce. And that's like at the extreme. On Mm -hmm. the other end, they might be saying, wow, we need people that maybe didn't go to the same university that everyone in our program uh, or everyone in our team has gone to. We've typically recruited from one university and that university has a very specific population that tends to go there. And Mm -hmm. so they may be looking for someone that has a really diverse background 
educationally, economically, socially, ethnoculturally, you need to find out what that is. And you also need to find out through that interview process, what are they going to do to support your integration, your successful integration into that team? And so by asking questions like, I noticed that a lot of your team members have gone to X university and completed X program. That's mm. not the background I have. I think that I can bring these skills to the table, but tell me a little bit about why, why you have so many people from a particular background and will ah. that be, you know, will, will I be um, disadvantaged for not having a similar educational experience as those mm -hmm. colleagues? Mm -hmm. How does, for example, the fact that most of your staff are urban professionals, how does that shape the culture of your organization? I'm a person that lives in a rural community. So I think it's just about being really open and honest and being, you know, thoughtful about the kind of questions that you ask and thinking about your lived experience as your superpower. For example, I'm a racialized multi-ethnic multi woman that identifies as Black. Yeah. No one could take that from me and no one knows what it's, what it's been like as a, you know, a lived experience that I've gone through the world as a racialized black woman. That's meant that I've had some difficult situations that I've gone through and I'm sure that you have as well. Absolutely. But, but that's built for me a resilience and an understanding of people and deep empathy for people that feel like outsiders. And so mm -hmm. I think that as a leader, I'm really good and attuned to people's lived experience and bringing out, bringing them out of their shells and making them feel really comfortable um, in any kind of team environment. I think that that's my superpower is being able to unlock that for outsiders or people that ha don't have the traditional experiences and making them feel really safe and vulnerable and comfortable. Um, so how you unlock whatever it is, whether it's you grew up economically disadvantaged, that means that you probably are really resourceful. If you've been able to like enter the workforce and come from a place where you were economically disadvantaged, where access to post-secondary education meant you had to take out loans and get lots of scholarships, you are very resourceful. How do mm -hmm. we turn that into a superpower? How do we yes. turn that into something that's a true asset when you're looking um, you know, to enter a particular organization? That is not something that can be taken away from you. How do you turn all of those things into positives? All that to say, there are things mm -hmm. that we go through that are lived experiences that are traumatic, that are negative, and that are, are hard and painful. And how do we and, we, and I wouldn't suggest we center that in, in our career. I think that right. we have to be honest and open about the things that have traumatized us, be open mm -hmm. and honest about the things that have been hard for us, but not center that as part of our, our value and our value proposition to a prospective employer. It's simply Absolutely. something that we're going to have to bring with us, whether that's we had a really negative experience at a particular job, we probably mm -hmm. wouldn't center that in a job interview. Like I probably wouldn't start with, I know you're looking at my resume and I only worked at this particular job for six months. You're probably wondering <laughs> why that is. Yeah, you exactly. Wouldn't, you wouldn't start with that, but if mm -hmm. you're asked the question, you know, you know, some of your jobs, you've only stayed for a little bit of time. You find a way to be articulate about the fact that it wasn't a good experience, whether, mm -hmm. and, and finding a way to be positive and professional about it without mm -hmm. lying. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and so again, how do we, how do we turn these experiences that we have into something really positive that no one can take from us? And whether that's you're queer, you're differently abled, you are a religious minority, you are visibly racialized, you are a newcomer. Those are all things that can be assets if you are able to contextualize them as part of your superpower, as part of what makes you different, but also is what allows you to connect with different customers, different colleagues, different staff, any stakeholder that's important to your your prospective employer or your or your current employer. Absolutely. And I, I love what you've shared because I think especially for, for job seekers that will listen to this, you, you've given them power, right? Because I think sometimes we, we look at a job description and sometimes maybe we count ourselves out because we don't have the specific qualification or exactly everything that they're listing out. But sometimes it's about tapping into, again, it's the, the lived experiences and realizing that you do have that experience and you can bring that and be an asset. So I think for anybody that's feeling discouraged or maybe they don't have specific uh, experience that's listed on a job description, tap into who you are and the, the experiences that you've had and the lessons that you've learned throughout your life and use that for, for your career journey. I, I really love that. Before we wrap up, um, how, how, how can people connect with you? Because I think the work that you do is important, but also the, what you've shared today is really important. And I want people to be able to, to connect with you if they'd, if they'd love to learn more. Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I think I, I allocate a couple hours every week to connecting mm -hmm. with emerging professionals and mentoring young people oh, that are in yeah. the nonprofit or fundraising community. So that's mm -hmm. something that I intentionally carve out in my schedule that something that's important to me because the people mm -hmm. who made time for me when I was a young professional really had an impact on my career in a positive way. Mm -hmm. And so I would encourage people to connect with me on LinkedIn is probably the best way. My name awesome. is Tanya Hannah Rumble. There, mm -hmm. I don't believe that there's another Tanya <laughs> Hannah Rumble <laughs> on LinkedIn. Awesome. There's and I'll link to it too. So people can go right through. And people can message me or they can also connect with me on Twitter at Rumble TH. So Rumble and then for TH is for Tanya Hanna. Yeah. Um, and I really welcome people to connect with me, people that are passionate about equity, diversity, and inclusion in the nonprofit and fundraising sector, people mm -hmm. that are thinking about how to make their work as fundraisers more inclusive, more equitable, and people that are thinking about the fact that philanthropy is a sector that is rife with power and balance. How do we write that ship? How do we focus on the things that people have that are the mm -hmm. beneficiaries of, of philanthropy and not what they don't have and not putting, you know, people together as look, this person is self-made with lots of money and look what they did for this community that has nothing, but really lifting people up and focusing on everyone's assets and what they have to offer because mm -hmm. as I said lived experience and what you bring from the many experiences that you had along your life are so valuable in your workplace and I think about all the things that I've learned you know through being a babysitter or with my yeah. family growing up in a large interracial family or traveling those those skills that I experience outside of the workplace are some mm. of the things that I use in negotiation, in conflict mm. resolution, Absolutely. in personal branding. So don't discount all the things that you do have to bring to the table, even if you know your resume doesn't look exactly like the other people that have had the job before you. You have things that they don't have, and that's your life and your life experiences. I love that. So again, it's not worrying about the, the cultural fit, but it's about what you can add and what you can add to the culture and what you can bring to the role. That's really awesome. Well, thank you, Tanya, for being here. I really appreciate everything that you've shared. I think that the insight that you have and just the passion that really shines through into everything that you've shared. So I think it's going to be of extreme value uh, to job seekers and professionals. So thank you again for, for your insight. 
normal conversation. You know, I think that especially now when we're all collectively experiencing this global event, being able to be vulnerable is so important. There's no need to put on airs and pretend that we're not having a tough time. And I know that I have strategically tried to be more open with my feelings and my lived experiences. And in fact, after this conversation with Tanya, she really inspired me to lead with that, leading with my lived experiences. And it's a little early to tell, but I'm confident that it will help me in my job search. Anyway, if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to subscribe and leave a review if you haven't already. And of course, share this episode with a friend who may benefit from Tanya's insights. Until next time, I'm Chanel McFarlane. Thanks for listening. Thank you.